Hi there, I'm Kathy Bond and welcome back to the Prosecast. Today I'm talking with Tish Cohen about her new book, Inside Out Girl. Cohen already possesses a fairly impressive pedigree. Her first novel, Townhouse, was snatched up by Ridley Scott's production company and it's going to be directed by John Carney, the guy behind the indie smash Once. Well now Cohen is back with the Inside Out Girl, the riveting story of how two families collide when Rachel, a control freak single mom, pulls over to the side of the road to help Len, a hairy dad who's blown out a tire. Love comes a-calling, but it's a love that's fraught with pain, joy, and plenty of unsuspected surprises. I spoke with Tish Cohen from her cottage in Northern Ontario. Hi, Tish. Hi, Cassie. Hey, welcome to the Prosecast. Thank you for having me. Uh, listen, congratulations on the Inside Out Girl. It's a terrific read. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I couldn't put it down. It's just... Whew. Oh, that's fantastic. Your novel is about many things, but one of the things that came through really strongly to me is how life, no matter how hard you try and control it, is always full of unexpected surprises. And I was wondering if you'd read us a passage, it's from the beginning, just to set this up a bit. Okay. I'll read you um, the beginning of Chapter 4, which is called Radis Radis. Too fast, Rachel steered the old Navy saw around a tight bend in the road. Sprawling hillside homes, architecture blurred by decades of intentionally lax clipping and pruning, peered down at the speeding commuters with disdain, while untamed forsythia bushes, bursting with yellow flowers, cheered them on. Checking her watch, Rachel groaned. 9.45, late for her own meeting. Around the bend, traffic was at a standstill, which forced Rachel to hit the brake and idle in an irritatingly long lineup of cars. Her cell phone rang. Rachel Berman. Rachel, Mindy here. Are you getting close or should I bump the meeting to later? No, Josh is heading out to Houston later and I need him there. I'm... Rachel craned her head out the window. Traffic wasn't moving. I'm almost there. I won't be ten minutes. It wasn't a total lie. At this rate, it would be at least 25. God, the car was hot. As the dirty pickup ahead of her inched forward, Rachel spotted a black Audi at the side of the road. A striking man in a crisp suit and royal blue tie, blondish, maybe in his mid to late 30s, pulled a spare tire out of the trunk while a young girl flopped against the car in misery, whacking a naked Barbie doll against the bumper. Poor kid. And from the way her dad was squinting at the tire jack, one thing was clear. The man had never changed a tire in his life. Rachel averted her eyes, pretending she didn't see them. Wasn't that one of the cardinal rules of the road? If someone needed help and you weren't prepared to offer any, glance away and feign ignorance? She couldn't resist looking back. While she wasn't exactly an expert on changing tires, she knew enough to see he was setting the jack wrong side up. The girl was now tossing her Barbie in the air and darting around at the road's edge. If Rachel weren't so late, she'd definitely have stopped. Definitely. Traffic sped up and Rachel tried to concentrate on her meeting. She was holding a focus group for lapsed subscribers that night, a last-ditch effort to find out why her family's magazine, once the country's primary advisor on everything from proper nutrition to temper tantrums, was slipping into obscurity. In her rearview mirror, Rachel caught a glimpse of the father pulling his daughter away from the road. Traffic was now hurtling past them. Clearly, he wasn't going to be able to concentrate on both his inverted tire changing and keeping an active child away from speeding cars. She checked her watch again, 9.50. How'd it look if the publisher couldn't be bothered to show up to resuscitate her own magazine? She drove past a road construction crew, three or four men dressed in orange vests, the cause of the slowdown, and reached for her coffee, determined to relax and forget about the man, the child, and the tire jack. And she did relax for about a minute, until she remembered one small thing. Men were easily distracted, so easily distracted that her ex-husband, long before he vanished from their lives, nearly drove to work once with Janie's infant car seat on the trunk of his convertible. 
His daughter strapped firmly inside. Rachel wrenched the steering wheel to the right, pulled off the road, and thrust the car into reverse. And there we go. (laughs) (laughs) So here's Rachel. Tell us about her. Well, Rachel is loosely based on my own parenting style. I'm an overprotective mother, uh, the mother of two skateboarding boys who have um, been sent to the hospital more than a few times with concussions and broken bones and and that sort of thing. And in spite of all my efforts to keep them safe, I I warn them every time they go off to, to, to bike ride or anything that they're not allowed to get hurt. In spite of all the safety measures I've put into place, it still happens, and, and usually it's, it's something that I could never have anticipated. So Rachel's nature definitely came from my own parenting with my kids. What attracted you to this character? Was it just your own experience, or was there something more universal that you saw? Or I have a girlfriend who's a, a family therapist. I'd heard from her about the trouble some families have in blending, two single parents need, and they both have kids, and um, sometimes it's difficult for the parents to really understand the other one's children. And what would it be like to have a child come into your family, into your life, who is almost completely unmanageable, at times hard to love because she is so stress-making, and, and, and there's such a huge communication gap no matter how you try yet this child needs love more than anything. And I just thought that was sort of an interesting um, situation to set up. Okay, and then the child, you're talking about Olivia. And Olivia is Len, that's who we just heard about, this striking, handsome, young, blonde man. And that's his daughter holding the Barbie. Now, she has something that I'd never heard of before, nonverbal learning disorder. Can you tell us about that? Nonverbal learning disorder, which is called NLD, it's a condition that is so similar to Asperger's syndrome that it's often misdiagnosed. And a huge percentage of kids that have Asperger's also have NLD. So what it is, is it's usually a complete inability to understand any communication cues that are not verbal. The child can understand your words, but they can't understand any hidden meaning behind them. Now, these kids tend to be sort of uncoordinated as well, and they tend to not do well with directions. They have spatial problems. They may get lost in their own school. They may have attended the school for five years. They, they could still get lost trying to find the office. They're kids that tend to walk around school with their sweatpants pulled too high. They may be running around in the liners of their winter boots because that's the most comfy and they can't manipulate laces and, and, and that sort of thing. So they tend to be branded by the other kids as nerds or dummies, and that's really not the case. And what made this condition so poignant for me was the similarity with Asperger's. Asperger kids tend to be, you know, sort of in that same trap. But with Asperger's, because it's on the autistic spectrum, the kids tend to be in their own little social bubble. They tend to self-isolate, and they're not looking for contact with other kids. Kids with NLD who have all the same social traps desperately want to be liked and accepted by the other kids. So to me, I found that unbelievably poignant that these kids want that more than anything and generally don't achieve it. Heartbreaking for a parent as well, and that was what I wanted to examine with Len. What would it be like to be the parent of such a child? I mean, how heartbreaking every day to have that child come home and talk about how they were bullied. Yeah, I remember reading somewhere that you really felt that autism, which is a, a extraordinarily challenging disorder, but that people really needed to know more about NLD, and that's one of the reasons you wrote about it. Yeah, I mean, Asperger's and autism get get a lot of press, and and it's deserved. 
But this condition, it's funny that this condition has sort of been overlooked, and it's, it's every bit as socially crippling as Asperger's. And I think for the parents of the kids with NLD and for the kids themselves, life would be a lot easier if society understood these kids aren't stupid, that they can be gifted in areas. Olivia is gifted in her, in her knowledge about rodents, and they can be brilliant kids in other ways. You wouldn't bully a kid with autism. The kids know better than to do that. They've been taught at school what autism is, yet they haven't been taught about this condition. Back to Rachel for a second. She's on the way to a meeting. She's a single mom with two kids. She sees this guy at the side of the road, and then suddenly these two are thrust into her life. It seems that she has an awful lot to balance. But I think that every single parent does. I mean, my sister is a single parent, and I watch what she's going through, and there's there's no one there to help with even the take out the trash and just those little things that when there's two of you, um, it really helps to simplify life. So I, th- I think she's typical of so many people in, in today's world. On top of it, though, there's this family business that she has. It's, uh, it's a parenting magazine. Right. And she's running it into the ground. So let's talk about that because I thought, here's this poor woman. She's got everything else. And on top of this, she's got, uh, it's called The Perfect Parent, and it's, not, it's no longer perfect. No. It's not, and she's aware that that's an archaic title, but she's willing to stick with it because it has this brand recognition from you know the 50 years that her, her grandfather and her father spent building it. And Rachel is, she's a little rigid in, in her decisions concerning the magazine, and, and as readers will discover, Rachel, Rachel has her own secret from the past and her own guilt about having given up a child for adoption when she was 17 and the child had Down syndrome, which was not why she gave it up, but which was what pushed her mother to to force her to give the child up. But Rachel is racked with guilt over this, so it's difficult for her to face anything to do with raising any type of special needs child because she feels horrifically guilty that she gave her own child up. And because of this, she avoids any sort of parenting issues in the magazine that are outside the realm of average parenting. So this is why the magazine is sinking, but Rachel can't face it any more than she can face Olivia uh, when she meets Len and discovers that as she's falling for Len, that, that she discovers that he has a daughter who is highly special needs. She finds it really difficult to be around Olivia, who, who just brings out her own guilt every time she sees her. Now, you were just talking about Len. He's a fascinating character. He's the guy that we were just talking about who drives the Audi. Let's talk about him. In Lynn, I really wanted to look at, first of all, what it's like to raise a child with a condition like NLD, where, where the child is really socially a victim and bullied at school. I thought really one of the worst things a parent can go through in terms of um, watching their child ache every single day. And then I thought of taking that one step further. What if you had a child that nobody understood? What if that parent were to find out they were dying and had to leave their child in a world where no one understands them? And that was sort of the ultimate um, seed for how, you know, how I came to write the book. Again, it goes back to the beginning, the first question I asked you. It's, there's a wonderful sense of humor in the book, but yet there's this, it reminded me of Flannery O'Connor, you know, just this unexpected pummeling by life that will just come out of left field and just take you out. Is this something that you really wanted to get at, or is this just something that I'm bringing to the book? I just think that, especially in Len's case, that unexpected pummeling, I, I just think that that happens over and over when, when you're raising a child like that. I think that there's just 
so much frustration and so much sadness and so much that you want for your child that you have no control over. Another thing that you've touched on is rejection. Olivia is continually rejected because of her disorder. Rachel's husband left her for a younger woman, and Janie, Rachel's 14-year-old daughter, is terrified about being rejected due to her emerging sexual identity. Let's talk about Janie for a bit. Okay, well, Janie, actually, Janie's my favorite character in the book. I think I related most strongly to Janie. I I really love her. And um, Janie just can't get what she wants, you know, and she's, she's brave enough to go after it, to set her sights on, you know, one of the most popular girls in school, the golden girl who lives next door. I just thought it's sweet and poignant that she was obsessed enough by her to put aside all her own fears of being rejected because she's not a, a girl who, who has tons of friends and stuff. She's sort of a girl who has pinned herself into a corner at school socially by making sort of a clown of herself and sort of keeping keeping emotional distance from the other kids in that way. Yet she's so raw and she so wants to, to connect with Tabitha. But when she does sort of um, go after Tabitha in the book and then she ends up in a scenario where everybody is questioning whether or not she's gay, it's the way that you address that was picture perfect. It was dead on. Thank you. Did you have any background experience with this sort of thing or friends or? Definitely. I I have always been surrounded by lots of kids when I was young who were gay. I mean, and I had a friend in high school who who was, and then as I grew older in university and one of my uh, very best friends in university later came out um, and and told me that he was gay. and, and, And then some people now as adults too, some of my closest friends are gay. I'm sure that that helped on some level, but I really approached Janie from the angle of simply being human and having real feelings and strong feelings and and combined with the the um, self-consciousness of being 14, which is, I mean, that's a time when you don't want to stand out from anybody else yet. You, you still are in that, that phase where you, where you want to uh, blend in, not call attention to yourself in the wrong way or anything like that. By the time you're 17 a little bit older, you've gained the sort of sense of independence that you're not so afraid to be who you are. In fact, you start to, I think, enjoy being different and unique. It was really tied in with that age specifically, too, with Janie. Yeah. You know, the characters, they really are quite fragile, but yet they're unbelievably strong. Now, does this mean that you are optimistic about the human race? I I think I am optimistic. I I think I fight pessimism, but, but I think overall... I probably am hopeful that that there's you know good in, at the end of everything. I, I think I have a lot of paranoia that maybe it isn't so, but but a lot of hope that you know please let it let it all end up being good. <laughs> I guess that's kind of like Rachel because the amount of fears that she has are unbelievable, but somehow she manages to just sort of keep popping along. It's true, and I'll I'll tell you a little secret. Um, Rachel slices her children's grapes in half when she serves them. I still slice my kids' grapes in half, and they're 12 and 16. (laughs) So was Dustin, the uh, young boy who's the skateboarder, the young son, was uh, he based on your boys? Uh, Yes, he he was to a a large extent, and my kids made sure that they informed me um, any of the skateboarding scenes. They were, you know, skateboarding consultants on those, and they, (laughs) they, they informed me what, no, no, you can't do that trick, Mom, no, he would only be doing this trick, and 
And so they were pretty involved with that, too. So what are you up to next? I just finished a young adult novel, so a novel with a 16-year-old protagonist. And I am working on my next adult book. Oh, yeah, and I just got an, uh, a message from Heather Reisman saying that she's reading Inside Out Girl right now and loving it. So that was pretty exciting to hear. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. So that means that you could be like one of the picks. Well, let's cross fingers, toes, and, and all strands of hair and, and hope. <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much for the time today, Tish. Thank you, Cassie. Next on the Prosecast, I'll be chatting with Helen Humphreys about her latest novel, Coventry, a gorgeously written book about the brutal bombing attacks on the city during World War II and how these horrific acts of violence impacted two very different women. For HarperCollins, I'm Kathy Bond. <laughs>